Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, Karibu Sana. This is the Africa Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Sophie Mboko. So, last Saturday, the April 22nd, the Earth Day, first held in 1970, was celebrated. We remember another remarkable event happening two years later in 1972, where world leaders met in Stockholm, Sweden, at the UN Conference on the Human Environment, recognizing the environment as a significant global issue. Now, the then UN Secretary General Kurt Waldem recognized that the impact of unplanned, selfish, and overgrowing activities threaten our common home. Everything is of concern to everybody in our deeply interdependent world today. The iron rule remains. Our world is one, inseparable, and interdependent. It is this world that is threatened by the impact of man's unplanned, selfish, and ever-growing activities. No political system makes us immune to this threat. No level of economic development permits us to escape. We all face the challenge of equals, equally threatened, equally vulnerable. The crisis of human environment is a global crisis. But slightly 50 years later, the World Meteorological Department released the 2022 State of Global Climate Report three days ago. Now, this report shows that carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide, the three most potent gases responsible for global warming, reached record highs in 2021. The International Energy Agency 2022 Global Methane Tracker shows that atmospheric methane concentration is around two and a half times greater than its pre-industrial levels. Now, this increase has accelerated recently with 2021's rise among the largest ever recorded. Now, around 40% of the methane emissions are said to be from natural sources, while 60% originate from human activities. Among these human activities is agriculture, responsible for around one quarter of emissions, closely followed by emissions from coal, oil, natural gas, and biofuels. That is the energy sector. The natural sources include wetlands, um, peatlands, and bogs, which humans have converted into agricultural land as the demand for food by a rising population increases. Methane is critical because it's responsible for around 30% of the global temperature rise since the Industrial Revolution. As for carbon dioxide, NASA, a U.S. state agency responsible for science and technology related to airspace, shows that human activities have raised atmospheric CO2 by 50% in less than 200 years. Now, WMO will tell you that as a result, global temperatures in 2022 reached 1.15 degrees Celsius above those recorded between 1850 to 1900 on average. Now, here is the WMO Secretary General, Professor Petteri Talas. So far, we have seen 1.5 degrees warming since 1850 to 900, and we have seen the cooling effect of Pacific Ocean temperatures because of La Nina, and that's why we haven't broken globally the all-time high. But once we go to the next uh, El Nino, which is likely to happen during the latter part of this year and uh, next year, we may be fairly close to the Paris uh, 1.5 degrees uh, low limit, at least on temporary basis. But we have broken several uh, regional records. Uh, for example, United Kingdom was measuring 40 degrees uh, last summer, their all-time high. And also in Sweden, they reached their record so far 
37.2 degrees and there were also some local records broken in Ireland and, uh, and Germany. We have stored more than 90% of the excess heat that we have brought to the planet, uh, to ocean, and, uh, and we have again broken new record in ocean heat content, which is, for example, giving more energy for the tropical storms, uh, cyclones, uh, hurricanes and uh, typhoons. We have uh, doubled uh, the sea level rise uh, during the past 20 years. Uh, we used to have 2.3 millimeters per year sea level rise uh, 20 years ago, and recently we have seen 4.6 millimeters per year increases and that increase is very much coming from the melting of uh, major glaciers in Greenland and uh, Antarctica. We have oceans serve as a sink of carbon dioxide and, uh, and we have again reached a new record of the acidity of, uh, of ocean uh, seawater and that's affect negatively corals, uh, shells and uh, plankton as, as, as examples. We have seen a new record low uh, of uh, Antarctic uh, sea ice uh, last February and, and this is a new feature so far been breaking these records in the Arctic only but uh, also the Antarctic uh, sea ice has started uh, shrinking. Melting of the glaciers uh, continue and there has been a four-time increase uh, of the melting of glaciers since the 70s uh, and here in Switzerland uh, we lost 6.2% uh, of glacier mass uh, uh, last summer because of the heat wave new record. Now, of course, the science is clear and even the IPCC assessment report that was just released the other day has indicated that the land has warmed, the ocean has warmed, glaciers are melting, you know, and so... A lot of impact that we're seeing, especially uh, in Africa, we've actually seen a lot of devastating drought in the whole of Africa, recurrent cyclone in the southern part of um, the continent. We've also seen Tunisia uh, recording drought. And here is Professor Talas with the latest impacts. We have seen plenty of uh, extreme weather events uh, worldwide, uh, and there has been flooding in Pakistan, eastern Australia, in Sahel region and also in Brazil and uh, Venezuela. On the other hand, we have seen drought uh, hitting Horn of Africa, Europe, uh, China, Northern Africa, United States, Mexico, and also middle and southern part of uh, South America. And this drought in Horn of Africa is, has been longest uh, ever, and there, there's a food crisis uh, which is hitting uh, 20 million people there. Last summer, the heat wave uh, here in Europe led uh, to casualties of uh, about 15,000 people who died because of the heat wave and poor air quality. And in China, last summer was the hottest summer ever, and it was also the second driest summer that they have observed. And they also reached a record low level of water in, in their main river called Yangtze. There was very severe flooding in Pakistan, which affected 30 million people, and there were 1,700 casualties and about 30 billion US dollars economic losses, and altogether 9% of the country was flooded. There was one severe hurricane hitting United States called Ian, which led to 152 casualties and economic losses of the order of 113 billion US dollars. We have started seeing cyclones hitting southeastern part of Africa, which is a new feature. And last spring we had uh, four cyclones hitting Madagascar, which led to 214 casualties and about uh, 570,000 people were affected. We have started seeing 
the increase of uh, food insecurity again, and there have been more than 20 million people affected in Horn of Africa, 28 million uh, in Latin America and Caribbean, 19 million in Afghanistan, and uh, 7 million in South Sudan. And then we have seen also displacements because of these extreme weather events, uh, 8 million people forced to leave their homes uh, in Pakistan, 1.1 million in Bangladesh, uh, 1.2 million in Somalia, half million in Ethiopia, and uh, 700,000 in Brazil. Now, the interesting thing is that since 1972, many treaties and conventions have been ratified collectively by nations ranging from protecting the sea, tackling climate change, biodiversity loss, and protecting the ozone layer, pollution, desertification, name them. But the question is, how are all these treaties and conventions that are domesticated from the global agreements, you know, by countries synchronized with each other, especially within countries, you know, because this is where real action should be on the ground. Because the thing is not just about ratifying conventions, it's about actions on the ground. What is happening within those community levels, right? Despite all these efforts, why are there more than 1 million species now threatened with extinction vanishing at a rate not seen in 10 million years? With much as 40% of Earth's land surface now considered degraded according to the UN Global Land Outlook Assessment. This was an issue raised during the 27th uh, UN Climate Summit in uh, Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. And it's Molin Joseph, um, the former Minister of Finance of Antigua and Barbuda. Unfortunately, we have fallen into a practice of separating concepts into silos. We have a treaty regime for the climate, we have a treaty regime for the law of the sea, and we have a treaty regime for human rights. But yet we rarely examine how the obligations and rights of states and individuals are interlinked and build upon one another across these different silos. We have to examine all our institutions, all our laws, all our practices to see how we can improve them. The consequences should result in the protection of human lives and human well-being. Well, we can help by advocating that it's time we put humanity as the focus of all our decision-making. Now, despite agreeing on all these treaties, the majority of these treaties are not legally binding on the states. And so what we see all these years down the line is that planet is the planet warming, declining biodiversity, and more pests and diseases affecting farming, you know, despite the massive use of chemicals in the name of pesticides being used. Pollution levels has gone extraordinarily high, both in water bodies and air. And of course, in increased diseases, you know, putting the human life at risk. For example, while I was growing up in Kenya, diseases such as cancer, high blood pressure, asthma, name them. They were seen as diseases of the rich people. Actually, literally, they were referred to rich people diseases. But today, UNICEF says that more than 1.8 billion of the world's children under 15 breathe poisonous air daily, risking their health, cognitive development, and future. Climate change is no longer seen as that thing that would happen in 2100. But I keep asking myself, are we as humans trying to treat malaria while leaving mosquitoes to keep breeding in pools of stagnating water? For me, climate change is not the real thing here. I think it's a symptom of a larger disease that ails the continent. Environmental degradation is the real issue. Because we've got to deal with the issues of the soil, the oceans pollutions in terms of plastics and all the other manner of, of pollution. We've got to deal with our waste, you know, that is on our landfills. We've got to deal with the land use change. However, 
Climate change is a global political agenda now. And of course, it's an economic issue, it's a development issue, and of course, countries developing these technologies are bound to earn a lot of money. So nations have prioritized development and consumptions of natural resources over years, and environmental protection comes not even third. Uh, it's always an afterthought. Hence, despite agreeing on ratifying all these agreements and having a billion meetings to agree on how they will be implemented, actions remain calls for actions year and year and after the year. This is despite the IPCC messages being very clear over the last years. You know, the thing is calls for action still remains calls for actions. We've seen under the climate change, the national commitment the countries are committing, they have completely fallen short. Anyway, the chairperson of the government panel of climate change, Hosin Lu, Hosin Lee, wants the speed of implementation. It is imperative that climate action become a much higher priority. The pace and scale of what has been done so far and current plans are insufficient to tackle climate change. The rapid and sustained emissions reductions and accelerated adaptation action is required in this decade to address climate change. We are working when we should be sprinting. In 2018, the IPCC highlighted the challenge of keeping warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Five years later, the challenge is even greater. The impacts of human-caused climate change are unfolding with bracing clarity. More frequent and more intense droughts and flooding, threats to our food and water security, illness and death. Climate impacts are undermining our livelihoods. They are damaging the global economy. And the impacts threaten our life support system nature itself. Over 50 years on, my random thoughts comes in terms of would going back to basic help in tackling climate change. From my school of thought, this is years of impacts resulting from degrading the environment. When I think about climate and weather changes, they're not new. It just that it, it was not as frequent as it is today. I remember while I was growing up in rural village in Kenya, practices like terracing, and enforcing laws in terms of cultivating and repairing land were implemented. You know, minimal land tillage and the use of manure instead of fertilizer were commonplace. Soils were healthy then. I remember when we would dig up on the ground and would bring forth giant earthworms. You know, grazing time was spent chasing butterflies and beetles and admiring the majestic cattle eaglets, you know, following our cows. Rivers and streams were plenty then. You know, I remember harvest time. Plenty of bags would be harvested then, and it wasn't didn't really require to be, you know, that you cultivated a huge parcel of land. But then harvest was actually better and bumper. If I remember, you know, those days, and I was brought up by farming parents basically. And those days, we didn't even have those restrictions in terms of seed sharing like we do have today. So what we used to do in most cases would actually literally plant uh, seeds from the last season. But today. You know, Kenya has this climate change policy. By the way, it's actually revisiting it to accommodate carbon markets. It has all these action plans. It has all these food safety policies and so many other policies, you know. And it has scientists who are actually and research programs in terms of uh, drought-resistant seeds, pests and diseases-resistant kind of seeds. But the thing is, you've also find in terms of 
there's a lot of um herbicides and you know pesticides that are being used from weeding basically to harvesting because you won't believe tomatoes are sprayed in air some areas to ripen if the market demands for them so the pesticides atlas kenya shows that most pesticides used used on maize wheat coffee tomatoes and potatoes in kenya are highly hazardous 44% of the total pesticides used here are banned in europe bees and pollinators have declined in large numbers today you can imagine the same portion of land that my parents farmed then can't even produce a quarter of what it produced then and this is we're talking about using mechanization of agriculture we are talking about fertilizers we are talking about all manner of you know pesticides that are actually being used and we're talking about modern knowledge we're talking about you know uh, improved seeds seeds that are said to be drought resistant seeds that are said to be pest and diseases resistant all kind of manner of things you know but farmers today and farmers of yesteryears yesteryears we had pollinators massive like you would you know bees would just land from anywhere and actually there were trees all over there were less eucalyptus today you find there are no wetlands basically all the marshlands areas that would actually have were, were waterlogged today no water you know so you find soils are no longer fertile you find there is a lot of pollution that is actually happening because all these pesticides that you're using all these hazardous materials that we're actually using in terms of agriculture when it rains my friend it all drains into our rivers and our lakes and all these fertilizers and you'll find go to places like lake victoria you'll find you know a lot of that that all that richness is actually taken into these rivers and you know those lakes and you'll find that it's just not only in agriculture but because of decentralization of government there are many towns that are coming up so what happens in these towns is the fact that you'll find some buildings that are coming up because of lack of law enforcement the law is there basically but because of lack of law enforcement you'll find that buildings are coming up without sewer systems so all these end up in drainages in rivers and lakes so over time what happens when all this waste and this includes places like dumping sites when this waste when it's heated by the sun it emits a lot of emissions and the repercussions that we are seeing today you're eating food that has a lot of chemicals you're breathing air that is very toxic and so at the end of the day what happens now the diseases that were those days when I was growing up seen as diseases of the rich people is actually common place common person diseases you know So to, to conclude this random thoughts I think we as human beings really need to rethink even as we continue with the diplomacies we need to go back to basic we need to go back into those grassroots and understand what are we doing in terms of inflicting wounds on this planet on this common home on this earth on nature and what are we doing basically to aid nature to heal modern man must reestablish an unbroken link with nature and with life He must again learn to invoke the energy of growing things and to recognize as did the ancients in India centuries ago that one can take from the earth and the atmosphere only so much as one puts back into them we are called to assist the earth to heal her wounds and in the process heal our own indeed to embrace the whole creation in all its diversity beauty and wonder this will happen if we see the need 
to revive our sense of belonging to a larger family of life with which we have shared our evolutionary process. And you're so most welcome to actually share your random thoughts with me and we can have a couple of conversations. Talk about cities, talk about oceans, talk about carbon colonialism, you know. So if you would want to share in this random thoughts, talk to me using info at africaclimateconversations.com or message me on LinkedIn. My handle is Sophie Mbogwa. I will see you soon. Asante sana for listening. My name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Conversations.